The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. We do the digging so you don't have to. We've got breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Bringing you the biggest stories from the industry you care about. This is the Media Noise Podcast. Well, let's hear it. Now, here's your host, Dimitri Ravanos. Welcome and thank you for joining us today on Media Noise. Uh, Please do us a favor, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. The more of you that are on board, the more people get a chance to discover this show and every show in the BSM Podcast Network. I appreciate you taking the time to do that. Andy Mazur coming up a little bit later on. Before him, we will talk to Arky Shea. Alternate broadcast and traditional broadcasts of games is really the focus of this show today. But first, Mike Golick revealed this week that he was nearly back in our lives each and every weekday morning. He was a guest with his old play-by-play pal Dave Pash on the Dave Pash podcast and said that he almost got back into morning television. And it wasn't like this was a done deal and he changed his mind at the last second. He talked about that the family would have to commit to move, that there were a lot of decisions left to be made. And now the speculation begins, right? If you're in the sports broadcasting world, there are two shows you immediately think this could be. It could have been the revamped Good Morning Football. It could have been Craig Carton's new morning show on FS1. I don't think it matters which one it is. I think it speaks to the lasting influence, not just of Mike Golick, but of that early 2000s era of ESPN Radio. Sort of that 02-ish era to, I'm going to say, 2011, 12. I mean, you got to think about 2002. That is the beginning of ESPN Radio really kind of getting a on-TV promotional push from ESPN. This predates, by the way, Mike and Mike having a TV simulcast. I'm just talking about showing commercials for ESPN Radio on ESPN. But from there, the dominoes start to fall, right? We get the weekend celebration at Walt Disney World. We get TV simulcast first of um, Mike and Mike and then of other ESPN radio shows. Dan Patrick leaves. There goes a legend. But hey, here comes Colin Cowherd building up his own very very influential radio career on ESPN. I think that there are guys around my age, I'm 41, so let's say somewhere in that 37 to 50 range, uh, that that era and those personalities are always going to carry weight with. Is Mike Golick the hippest dude on the block? No, probably not. Is Mike Golick built to deliver content in a streaming world? He's certainly done a great job of adapting, but it's not like he is an influencer that we are plucking uh, out of their own background out of a very different background to come and save traditional sports broadcasting. He's just a dude that you want to spend time with. He is a dude that has made an emotional connection to his audience that has lasted years and years. And the fact that he is no longer in our lives every single day, whether that's as a part of radio or the TV simulcast, and he still got this close to coming back to TV, that there is still so much interest in what game he is calling each week for Westwood One, I think it's a real testament to him and to what he was a part of in Bristol. 
Last week, we saw the debut of, I believe it's called College Football Primetime with the Pat McAfee Show. It is yet another edition in the long line of alternate broadcasts. Arky Shea wrote an interesting piece at the site. And before we get to your uh, what your piece was about, Arky, I, I got to tell you, of all the people that have done alternate broadcasts, McAfee's was the one I was most interested to see and also the one I turned off the quickest. I think that's a fair thing to say. And um, I listen, it, I, I get it. First time out, it's going to get better. It was so clunky. And because I live in Raleigh, I was very interested in what the Wolfpack were doing. I just could not stick with it. Yeah, I, I think that I think there is a there is a genetic flaw to the birth of these alternate broadcasts that we're talking about. Uh, and we'll talk about the Pat McAfee one. Um is probably the one that was the most affected at the very beginning of it. And, you know, the bad, the, the bad part is, Dimitri, you know, you, most people only give this thing its first shot, right? right? Unless there's a massive reason to give it another shot. The first one, if it comes out the gate so slow, it's going to be tough to get a bunch of those people to come back. So the Manning cast started out with some problems of its own, but literally through its first season grew each of, I believe, the first six times out before we uh, saw the numbers dip at all. So there is, I think, reason to be optimistic. I mean, McAfee has a huge media footprint, obviously. Uh, you and I being big college football fans, long before the name or the word Manning cast was in our vocabulary, we were used to these from national championship games, right? With the coaches film room. You wrote a piece that asked what it would take for one of these to actually draw big ratings. And you and I were talking privately, and I said it would have to be as close to a regular broadcast as possible and no other option. Like, I genuinely have trouble wrapping my head around how this format could ever be anything other than niche. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying I think that's the nature of these things. Yeah, I think the, the big issue you start with is that with these alternate broadcasts, like we've seen with the Manning cast, with the, the McAfee podcast or whatever it's going to be end up called. But the biggest issue you start off with is that for the most part, you're reducing what people want to see the most, which is the game by like 65%. Right. And that is that's the huge hurdle you have to overcome, and that's why I'm with you. I thought the Pat McAfee doing was the most interesting to sort of see how it would come out because if there is an internet personality that has trans uh, translated over to major media, would be a Pat McAfee. But did you see the ratings it got for the first one? Two hundred and fifty-one thousand, and the main broadcast got just short short of five million. Yeah, that's like twenty times the the, the broadcast and. Listen, the McAfee cast can grow. He said he felt like it didn't get marketed nearly as much, and that's probably true. Um, but you're, you're talking about already a significant number of people who would even be close to interested when you turn over, and the game's less than half of the picture. Right. So there is a version of an alternate broadcast where the game is way more prevalent. Um, and I wonder, because I don't know how often we think of this as an alternate broadcast, but I wonder if you saw something like what ESPN did with the Marvel-themed broadcast. I want to say it was a Nets-Pelicans game, if I remember correctly. Uh, I know they have done a Star Wars-themed baseball broadcast. I mean, there are versions of this where the game is very much front and center. The Nickelodeon... Uh, I was going to say, one of your personal favorites, the Nickelodeon game. Yeah, the, the Nickelodeon uh, playoff game. The game is very much front and center, but it is presented for a very different audience. 
to me, that seems like a better ratings play than what we are seeing Omaha Productions and their alternate broadcast it. I, I think it is because I, I think what you're talking about, and, and in my piece, I basically lay out this plan that is basically futile. It's hopeless. I'm call, I'm calling for Donald Trump to do broadcasting during the entire fourth <laughs> quarter. I'm talking for The Rock to come in for a tour. I'm talking about 60 seconds. Everyone can text and win in prizes, and there's a countdown constantly going. Yeah, like It takes so much to bring in eyeballs to the game, and this is still while the game is the main focus and you're mm. not taking away from it. That's the that's the huge issue these alternate broadcasts are doing because they're bringing in the personalities and you want to feature the personalities. But people for the vast majority, even see with the many cast, which is like I think a, like a 1.6 million during this last Monday Night Football compared to like the 10.5 million for the main broadcast, yeah. you just lose people when they have these 70-inch TVs and they want to see the football game, when you're not featuring the football game in 4K HD glory, and you have, even if it's a Peyton Manny who's great and Eli right. Manny who's funny and all the guests, if it's not the feature, then people just aren't going to be interested nearly as much. I also think that version you're talking about where the game is very small on the screen. Look, I, I think Omaha Productions had the right idea for the U.S. Open. Now, I say that as somebody that, like, you couldn't pay a million dollars to watch a round of golf. Um, really? But- I'd yeah. like to offer you a million dollars right now to watch a ground of golf. I'm not even going to pick up the phone for less than a million point five. Okay, I can't do that. I don't have live money. Listen, I understand. That's how much I dislike the idea of sitting down to watch golf. <laughs> um, but, you know, so they did that with the U.S. Open. ESPN on its own created the K-Rod uh, broadcast. I think these things where the game is in a smaller window on your screen probably work best for a slower moving sport, right? probably at best like you're football is different because even if you get like a fast moving offense and they want to show a replay people get ticked off for the picture in picture right with still the game happening in like 75 percent of the field they want <laughs> what's happening right now and there's yeah. so much movement happening i think if you're going to have that type of event and you're going to have the most potential success it it's got to be a baseball it's 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 got to be you know, um, um, you know, maybe a maybe a golf. It's got to give you the opportunity to still see the vast majority of what you want to see, which is all the action. So I will I will be completely honest. I like alternate broadcasts. I watch the Manning cast every time it's on. I absolutely will give the Pat McAfee broadcast another chance. I do wonder though. Have we overthought this a little bit, whether it is, you know, the kid-friendly graphics packages, whether it is the big stars watching something like, did we not need to innovate beyond a gambling-centric broadcast? Like, that still seems to be the most effective version and most obvious version of an alternate broadcast. I'm so glad you brought that up, actually, because I think that there were two ways this could have succeeded the most. One is once the NFL especially and the NBA slightly before, once they got into the gambling space, now you're cooking with a new element that people are interested in. You know, I talked to a Vegas insider, uh, you know, not one of those touts picks, but someone who's actually a Vegas insider. Uh, and he said, like, you, any Monday night football game, the ratings are big. Yeah, 60% of that are gamblers. Easy. The number two is you have to find a special set of personalities that people can digest, people think are entertaining, no matter how milquetoast some of us think some of them are versus others. And that's why I think like a Peyton Manning is probably one that works the most part. I think he's generally 
really well liked. Eli Manning, people do also still like him on the broadcast too. There is such a small segment of personalities that you can even grasp like that. McAfee is a very polarizing guy. Yeah. You know, Peyton Manning isn't. We've been talking about alternate broadcasts uh, in the first half of this show. Let's bring in Andy Mazur, our resident play-by-play guy, to talk about the traditional broadcast of uh, what is undeniably a big moment in baseball, whether you think, whether you uh, want to give any credence to the idea that 62 is the new 74 or not. Um, it's still a big moment, right? That Aaron Judge hit the 62nd home run. What impressed me, Andy, is in this big moment, whether it was the call on yes, the call on uh, WFAN, the call uh, on the fan out in Dallas. Everybody pretty much got universal praise for handling this the right way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, starting with uh, with Michael Kay, I think uh, you know there was there was some uh, you know some criticism, I guess, towards him in for sixty one. We he he didn't stop. He went too far. Right. Uh, you know, I think this time he really had it. Uh, he really had the feel for it, and I think he, he kind of nailed it because it, it's so hard to do on TV. That, that that temptation is to keep talking, but you know, as as Ben Scully always did. You let the pictures do the talking for you at certain times because you can't say anything better than what those pictures are showing you. And I think that, you know, he really got the point out there. He he had the great enthusiasm like he always does. And then he kind of laid out, which I thought was spectacular. I mean, when you go to radio, whole different ball of wax. I mean, you know, at, at first I, I listened to John Sterling's call and I thought, hmm, I, th- I think maybe he went too far. I think maybe he mm, did too much. But then I, I kind of listened back to it. And I'm thinking, all right. I got to put myself in the mindset of a, of a Yankees fan who's listening to John Sterling, who's been waiting for this moment, the anticipation. And I think that John really brought forth some information that was very enlightening. I mean, you think about it and I'm, I'm stealing from him here. Think about it. Three Yankee right fielders. You know, he goes to the Babe in 1927. He calls him the Jolly Roger back in 1961. And now Aaron judge, it's kind of a weird thing to think about that. It's this whole chase has been involving three Yankee right fielders. And he brought that out where I don't think I heard anybody else really talk about that during, uh, during the chase. So I thought that was excellent. And let me ask you this real quick Uh, along those lines about uh, the way Yankee fans are feeling and taking in this moment through John Sterling. They also have an understanding and an expectation of who John Sterling is as a broadcaster that had to play into whether or not he did a good job. Right. Yeah, and I think universally, you know, yeah, he gets he gets a lot of uh, a lot of crap for for <laughs> missing calls, and you know, hey, it happens. It happens to guys when they're young. I mean, I I've, I've yeah. blown several calls that are just at the, at the end of the day, thinking myself, oh my god, how did you miss that? You know, I mean, <laughs> but but it happens. You know, you're human. You got you got eyes, you got ears, you got a brain that sometimes works ahead of your mouth, and sometimes it's the other way around. But you know, he's he's definitely been uh, been around for some huge, huge Yankee moments. I mean, World Series titles. Uh, you know, A-Rod, whatever you want to call that legit or not, you know, Jason Giambi back in the day. And, uh, you know, he's he's had a lot of a lot of practice at this. It was, it was what I'm saying leading up to this moment here. And I think if I'm a Yankees fan, I'm happy. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm pleased with the way both of my guys handle this moment. And, and, you know, like I said, at first, I thought he maybe went too far. But then he, I'm thinking to myself, all right, listen, I have to listen. I can't see this. So him telling me that the Yankee teammates are pouring out of the dugout. Okay. I can't see that if I'm listening on the radio, he needs to tell me that uh, you can still hear the crowd in the background, which I thought was, was great. I mean, it was a good engineering job there by uh, whoever was, uh, was switching the dials back there and, and, you know, pumping up the crowd noise a little bit, but I thought both of these guys really nailed it. And I, I wonder if they had breakfast the day before, because they both <laughs> said case closed at the very end, which I thought was, <laughs> was kind of poignant. Uh, 
but you know, Sterling took it a little bit further and said it's Judgment Day, right? And you know, I, I think people expect that out of him. You know, with the, it was a rod, a bombs, and all that kind of stuff. I think yep. that uh, I think people expect that, and I don't think he let them down one bit. Um, you know, I listened very briefly to the call from uh, from the Rangers aspect of it, and I think they treated it fine too. I mean. Tell me what it's like to be in those moments. Tell me what it's like to be on the other side, the, the team that is the yeah. victim of history. Well, I've been the victim of history a couple of times in world and in, in not uh, in world series, but in uh, no hitters. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, when I was with the Padres, there was a ton of times, actually three that I can remember that we were no hit and it's not fun, but you know, you're, you're part of history, whether you are on the winning side or the losing side. So you have to treat it with that respect. I mean, you don't go crazy over the top, you know, because your fans don't ex- aren't, aren't looking for that from you. I mean, they're they're looking for you to tell us what's going on. And yeah, okay, there's some history here, but uh, hey, the Padres lost. Right. So <laughs> uh, you know, I I think that they handled it really well. You know, this has been a real interesting year for for a broadcasters period because not only was there 62 earlier in the season, there was a Miguel Cabrera's 3,000th hit, right, and then of course Albert Pujols with his 700th home run. So this has been a a milestone filled year that has really shown how professional and how good these guys are at, at their jobs. So whether it is Michael Kay uh, on yes, or Dave Raymond on Valley sports for the Rangers, I wonder how much of our ability to appreciate what they did in this moment is aided by the fact that it did not happen during a cut into a college football game. <laughs> yeah, I know there were a lot of people that were getting a little angry about, that, about the way that, that was going on. Yes. I see your hand over there. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's hard to argue with the fact that, you know, it was a historic moment that it it did it did deem that, I think, in my, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But, you know, not everybody's a baseball fan. So, I mean, well, I, and, I, and also like it, it happened and I'm this is pure coincidence. This has yeah. nothing to do with the broadcasters or a network decision. It happened at a time where it was not immediately going to get blotted out by the sports sun that is football in America. Yeah, it's true. I mean, and you have to dance around that uh, very delicately because, you know, ESPN started to do those cut-ins basically when he was going for 60. So, right. you know, if, if you're someone that's really kind of a casual fan and you're like, no, nah, this is kind of cool. I want to watch this. You're waiting for this at 61. You're waiting for this at 62 because they've, they've trained you to think that they're going to bring it to you at 60. And I think that they kind of fell into the trap where, okay, well, we brought it at 60. We brought it. Right. We got, we got to bring it at 62. <laughs> uh, otherwise it's uh, what, what's the, what was the use of bringing you 60 or 61? If you're not going to you know bring the, the big one. So I think that, you know, they walked that fine line, obviously I'm sure a lot of thought and uh, 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 investment and time went into that decision. I don't think it was just handled haphazardly, you know, but now I think, I think we're kind of trained because we see it during a regular uh, baseball broadcast. We see it during a golf broadcast. We see it during football where, you know, the broadcasters get squeezed to this little box and then there's a commercial or, (laughs) you know, or something like that. I think we're kind of used to that now where I think that, you know, maybe in years past, that would have been very obtrusive. I mean, it would have been like, wait, what are they doing? You know? And you know, now at least you get to kind of see your, your football game or your, the other baseball game in the little, little box in the corner. And they go sound full on the, on the broadcast. And I think that's, I think that's kind of helping both the the casual fan and the and the real big fan who uh, maybe is is traveling and can't get the Yes Network. This concludes our broadcast day. Thanks for listening to the Media Noise Podcast with Dimitri Ravanos. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review and check back soon for new episodes. To stay up to date on the latest sports media happenings, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com.